The following is a lesson in a series on life, liberty, and property brought to you by Republic Keepers and is presented and discussed by the Attorney General of the Republic State of Texas, Chaplain Raymond. This lesson discusses a book by the same name, Life, Liberty, and Property, written by Charles A. Wiseman, of which can be purchased at his website, seek-info.com, at amazon.com, or small bookstores such as Brave New Books in Austin, Texas. The ISBN number for this book is 0-966-8921-9-4. Life, Liberty, and Property is an educational series for sovereign souls on the dry land, and the information about fundamental law and the unwritten constitution cannot be utilized by those individuals that are domiciled in the District of Columbia. To understand your domicile status, please review the two constitutions, two domiciles document on republickeepers.com. We hope you enjoy this lesson on life, liberty, and property. All right. We have one typo on this page we need to correct. It's Chapter 2 of Charles Wiseman's book, and uh, The Nature of the Law of the Land is the title of that first section, not Law of the Law. But what I want to do before we start into this section is kind of take us back to yesterday a little bit. I want to remind you of things that uh, should we should never forget. And that's why I'm going to repeat them. It must be remembered that one who does not understand the law does not understand his rights and is thus no better off than one who has no rights. And that is, it has been said by Johann W. Goethe, a German poet that lived between 1749 and 1832, quote, None are so hopelessly enslaved as those who falsely believe they are free, unquote. Also, we were dealing about the... Uh, the collection of things with regard to life, liberty, and property. And a gentleman asked a question about a pursuit of happiness, if you recall. And I want just to read this again to remind you. We thus see that this phrase, life, liberty, and property, is in essence a summation of all, I repeat, all that is important to us in the physical world in which we live. Everything that can be regarded as something necessary or valuable to physical mortal beings on earth can be categorized under the phrase life, liberty, and property. The right of life, liberty, and property also includes the right to protect each aspect it represents from harm, injury, devaluation, or destruction. Now, let's go to Chapter 2. The Nature of the Law of the Land when I first picked up a book from Common Law and 
was looking at it, the first chapters in the book had to do with the theory and nature of law. It said you have to understand the theory and the nature of law to begin. I remember a great case where they talked about a gentleman saying, what is the nature and theory of the law that is being used here in this traffic case? And the reply was, criminal. He says, well, then I need to know what codes define the procedures for defending myself in criminal law. And the attorney says, why, it's the penal code. And it was a lawyer making the statement. It wasn't more than two seconds that the lawyer realized what he just said. No, no, no. He says, no, it's not the penal code. And the gentleman said, but you said it was criminal. Well, it is, it's not, it's, and he realized that, the lawyer realized that if it was the penal code, they had not Mirandized the gentleman when they gave him his traffic ticket. So he said, no, it's not criminal. So they have to be able to tell you the nature of the law, and you have to understand it to be able to distinguish it. So the subject matter at this moment is to teach you the nature of the law of the land. The basis and substance for our security or legal protection of life, liberty, and property against arbitrary actions and abuses of government lies in the concept known as the law of the land. It is, in fact, the heart of a nation's jurisprudence and provides for the stability of its society. The concept of the law of the land is ancient, going back to biblical times, and was developed in the West under the Anglo-Saxon common law. The great efforts and advancements in securing the rights of life, liberty, and property in the past were based upon the idea of the law of the land. It is important to understand what the law of the land is and how it came about. The law of the land is basically law, legal principles, and the rights which were originally established in a land or which were first practiced there by a certain race of people. Now, I have to stop for a moment here because the correct word is race, except at the time we're talking about this, the word race implied family. It didn't mean color or skin or any of the general things or general abstractions. It was a given family. These legal precepts became the foundational law for that race of people as long as they remained in the land. 
Ittas is a concept based on the maxim of precedence, not precedence. Precedence. I choose to pronounce it differently to distinguish from that which you hear commonly mentioned in the courts today. A precedent which future generations inherit and are bound to follow. The law that originally existed in the land has always been used as a guide in determining what is to be regarded as lawful or unlawful. Its concept is revealed in the Bible. When God brought the Israelites into the promised land, he had directed them to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the land which contained the Ten Can which contained the Ten Commandments on stone along with the books of the law. He also specifically told the people that these walls were to be followed in the land. Now, I need to stop here for a moment and comment that uh, my mentor had told me that in law school, they continually kept referring to a condition that was a requirement of the law in which they said, the covenant runs with the land. The covenant runs with the land. The covenant runs with the land. Now, they didn't explain it to him in any more detail than that until he realized they were, he was talking about this one. That's what they were talking about, where it began and when it ran with the land. Now, this is a, sta a verse in the Bible. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do to them in the land where you going, where you are going over to possess it. So when the Israel people crossed the Jordan River, the law that was brought with them was the law of God. It was this law which was first practiced by this race of people in Palestine and thus became the law of the land. As a result, the people and rulers that had lived 200 years after the founding of the Promised Land were still obliged to follow the law even though neither them or their parents had agreed to it at Mount Sinai. They were bound to the law, their ancestors followed by way of their racial heritage, and also to the law their ancestors had through divine providence, originally established in the land in which they lived. For the Israelites, the law of the land became an historical issue, and it is in this sense that we use the Bible as a history book. The law of the land principle is similar to the legal concept that dictates the right of discovery of new lands. The right of discovery is given to the race or nation that first steps upon the land. When John Cabot first set foot on American soil that gave the right to the land of England, since 
Cabot was sailing under the authority of the British crown, the fact that the French or Spanish also landed on the same shores of America did not give title of the land to those nations. Where there is uncertain claims to the land, distance from the shore, as with the Oregon and Louisiana Territory, title is secured by the first to explore it or have settlements in the land. This is the fundamental law of precedence, which has been recognized for thousands of years. There is a law which is there is a law which is connected to the land, and there are many maxims and legal principles which recognize this concept. I hope someone wasn't signing off because this has to do with the Bible. They really, this is where your rights stem from. Now, Magna Carta and the English Law. To better understand the meaning of the concept of the law of the land and how it protects rights of life, liberty, and property, a study of English history is required. It is in English history that we find the first definite mention of the phrase, the law of the land. This occurs with the Magna Carta document in 1215. Of the 63 articles which make up the document, the most famous is the 39th, which states, No free man shall be taken or imprisoned or dispossessed, or outlawed, or banished, or in any way destroyed, nor will we go upon him, nor send upon him, except by the legal judgment of his peers, or by the law of the land. By the 39th chapter, all persons are guaranteed that they will not be arrested, taken, jailed, imprisoned, deprived of their property, dispossessed, or condemned for a crime outlawed unless it be by a judicial trial by jury or per legum terrae by the law of the land. What then is this law? It is in essence the pre-established law in the land of England. What the Magna Carta was written. The words, by the law of the land, per legum terrae, in 1215 meant the law of England, lex angliae, that is, those laws, principles, customs, and maxims that were already commonly known and practiced in the whole land of England. The term law of the land when first used in the Magna Carta, probably meant the established law of the kingdom in opposition to the Roman law, which is about being introduced into the land. There's a distinction at this point being made that the law of the land that we're referring to is in opposition to Roman civil law. 
When Magna Carta was written, King John was allowing other types of law to exist by which he could deprive the people of their liberties and property. It was asserted in the Magna Carta that such deprivation can only be had by law originally and anciently followed and recognized as opposed to recent innovations in law. The people wanted no more influence from Roman law and declared that any act which would take away their rights must conform to previously established laws and procedures. The principle of the law of the land was known even before Magna Carta, as this section and other provisions involving individual rights were largely declaratory of the fundamental law of England. In explaining the section of Magna Carta which declares that no man shall be taken or imprisoned, but per legum terrae, that is, by the law of the land, Sir Edward Coke says, this means by the common law, statute law, or custom of England. In other words, by law and custom already established in England. Coke adds the following comments on this phrase. Nisi per legum terrae, but by the law of the land. For the true sense and expositions of these words, See the statute of 37 E.D. 3, chapter 8, where the words of the law and the land are rendered without due process of law. For there it is said, though it be contained in the great charter, that no man be taken, imprisoned, or put out of his freehold without process of law, that is, by indictment, or presentment of good and lawful men, where such deeds be done in due manner, or by writ original of the common law, without being brought in to answer, but by the process of the common law. No man be put to answer without presentment before justices, or thing of record, or by due process, or by writ original, according to the old law of the land. Wherein it is to be observed that this chapter is the declaratory of the old law of England. These sites are very important and it pays for you to have a copy of this book for no other reason. Thus, the provision that no one's rights, property, or liberties could be infringed or taken away by the law of the land means by the old laws, legal maxims, and customs that had previously been established in the land of England. The concept between the law of the land is the maxim of law which states that which is first in time prevails as a matter of law. If it was thus, 
It thus was to exclude new laws or decrees created by the king or parliament which could arbitrarily deprive subjects of their rights or properties. Such that logically not be the law of the land, and thus not lawful. As Cook said, an act against the Magna Carta was void. The phrase law of the land did not mean jury trial, as that was covered by the clause by the lawful judgment of his peers. Rather, it meant the law that had previously existed and been practiced on the land or soil of England. Thus, both the law that protected rights and which regulated judicial procedure were included in the due process of law provision used after Magna Carta. The whole context of the Magna Carta conveyed the idea of the established law. To those excited by political change, the document offers little. It is true that when first read, the Great Charter is almost sure to be a disappointment. There are no new arrangements about government, nothing but a return to old customs. By it, the king agreed to abide by certain principles and procedures that had anciently come down as part of the general stock of English liberties. No longer could the rights of the people be summarily or arbitrarily taken away by new laws made up by the government. No longer could people be deprived of their rights by new procedures or claims of power. A method or process previously or customarily used in the past had to be followed before a deprivation of a right could be justified. <clears throat> Confirmation of the Magna Carta. This is one of the most surprising pieces of information to me. It is true that King John declared only a few months after he had signed Magna Carta that he did not intend to keep it and had induced the Pope to declare it void because he had accepted it under compulsion. Nevertheless, John's son and later successors swore time and time again to observe it. The content of Magna Carta was so highly esteemed that in the course of the next two centuries it was confirmed no less than 37 times. In fact, the very day that Charles II entered London after the civil wars of the 17th century, the House of Commons asked him to confirm it again. That's his way to 1685. In the confirmatory statute of 9 Henry III in 1265, the text of the Magna Carta was put into the statute's hat large 
thereby making it part of the existing law of England. This statute slightly enlarged the contents of the 39th article of the Magna Carta by adding, after the word dispossess, the words of his freehold, liberties, or free customs. The addition obviously intended to explain the right of property which the words dispossess represents and declares. Now a noteworthy confirmation occurred in 1297 when King Edward I had again copied the charter under the statute rules. This confirmation was brought about when Edward, in great need of money to attack France, extracted large sums of money from the clergy, demanded many forms of payment from the towns and merchants, and seized the quantity of wool in the hands of the merchants. The barons, alarmed at these arbitrary measures, insisted on the kings reaffirming all previous charters of liberty including the Great Charter with certain additions. Now here's a case of where commercial activities and contracts were entering the scene and under the law of contracts was being used. But they're saying no, it cannot take precedence. In a statute passed before the reign of King Edward III, 1327 through 1377, the 39th article of Magna Carta was re using other familiar words. It was in this statute that the <clears throat> phrase due process of law first appeared. In claiming the rights of Englishmen the third chapter of the English Statute 28, Edward III, read as follows. No man, of whatever state or condition he be, whatever state or condition he be, shall be put out of his lands or tenements, nor taken, nor imprisoned, nor disinherited, nor put to death, without he be brought to answer by due process of law. Here the phrase due process of law was used in place of law of the land as the prerequisite to follow before one can be deprived of his land, property, liberty, or life. The meaning and scope of this due process requirement was strengthened and broadened by later English and American declarations using due process of law to mean the established laws, procedures, and individual rights which were inviolate. By the time Sir William Blackstone published Magna Carta in his famed commentaries, it was well regarded as a charter guaranteeing liberty in general. The Great Charter had been described as the keystone of English liberty, and all that has been obtained is little more than a confirmation or commentary. The significance of the Magna Carta rests largely 
upon the fact that its stipulations were wrung from the hands of an unwilling king by men with arms in their hands. Hence, it is regarded as a historical moment of right, and it is called the Palladium of English Liberty. Historically, then, Magna Carta was originally designed to secure the people against the arbitrary action of the crown and ministers thereunder. This was done by the requirement that they follow the ancient law when their rights were involved, rather than by a newly devised law or modes of procedure. The Law of the Land Clause, when used as a restriction against government, means the same as due process of law. That is, those laws and procedures that government must follow when dealing with the rights of people. In this sense, the Law of the Land would mean to include a trial by jury. However, it principally meant substantive law, that relating to legal rights and principles as distinguished from remedial law. But in a larger sense, the phrase includes the whole organic law of the land, that which forms the legal and political structure of government. Due process of law does not include this whole area of organic law, but rather just the substantive area and rule, rules of procedure. So the law of the land it has the greater meaning, the broader meaning, and goes broader than the substantive law. Now we'll continue tomorrow with the section that begins American Law of the Land. But it's important to know that this, that the law of the land is not new. It cannot be replaced by new legislation or new acts of the legislature. I think you can stop the recording now. Okay.